0: Unearthing Paranormacy is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy.
2: I'm Dave. And I'm Chad. Chad. (coughs) Chad doesn't have much voice. Uh, Chad went to a concert. (coughs) Chad
1: is sweepy.
2: Chad's hung (laughs) over. Chad's old and realizes just three beers and a vodka is enough to make you hungover all day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we get started, let's go ahead and hear a clip from one of our Green Mushroom Podcast Network shows.
0: Hey folks, Dreadnought here from the Faith Blind Council podcast. Myself, Frater Yara Marud and Seder Cologne have been working for over a year to produce a show that talks about practicing chaos magic with three practicing chaos magicians. We cover all sorts of topics from deep paradigm dives on subjects such as Gnosticism and Southern American Conjure to techniques such as divination and meditation and even sex magic. <laughs> but don't take my word for it. Check out this clip from one of our latest episodes.
1: But like you mentioned, the eighth house being like the house of shame, like where I have totally like, been to the house you know, of shame before. Where you're, yeah, Waffle you're House. Things, yeah. <laughs> 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 the only thing I have in my my eighth house is um, my my moon sign
0: so what's, dumpster fire. what's yes. interesting about there being kind of shame associated with your moon sign and your emotions is that your moon is in virgo right virgos yes. virgos are the like the sign that are the most critical of themselves like you it's very hard to hurt a virgo's feelings because you will never say something meaner to a virgo than a virgo says to themselves when they're by themselves For this and so much more discussion about magic in general, be sure to check out the Faith Blind Council podcast at faithblindpodcast.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much wherever else you get your podcasts at. Thank you so much for checking out our show, and we hope to see you soon.
1: You should really go check out all of our podcasts because we've got some great podcasts on this network. Oh, yeah! Really, so So
3: glad they're in our network.
1: So this week we are taking a road trip. And are we there yet? Are we there yet? Y'all don't even know where we're going.
3: She's touching me. Who? I'm driving. I know where we're going. I did the research for the. What do you mean? I don't know where we're going.
1: The winner of the let us visit your hometown or virtually visit your hometown (laughs) because, you know, we're broke podcasters and can't take trips as much as we would love
3: to. Can't blame it on COVID isolation anymore. Um. We're just poor.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But we're going to, drumroll, Dearborn, Michigan.
3: Thank you all for so much support. Yes. Thank you very much.
1: We have quite a few listeners in Dearborn. We have a bunch of listeners just in the Detroit area. So it's kind of cool to get to visit that area here with our research. We've got some cool places. Um, But Dave, you go ahead and take it away with the history.
3: Founded in 1786 and incorporated as a city in 1929, Dearborn, Michigan is the eighth-largest city in the state and the second-largest in Wayne County, according to the website cityofdearborn.org. More than 109,000 residents call Dearborn home and benefit from exceptional city services. Internationally recognized as the birthplace of Henry Ford, Dearborn is where auto and steel manufacturing, green beltways, fields of sunflowers, and wildlife dwell side by side. The city is a regional center for employment, health care services, higher education, shopping and transportation, along with outstanding cultural, environmental, and visitor attractions. According to historyoftechnology.org, What is now Dearborn remained a small farming community for decades after the first European settlers arrived in 1786. A major change came in 1833 when the U.S. government moved its arsenal from Detroit to a newly created township named after Henry Dearborn, Thomas Jefferson's Secretary of War. The Arsenal was an 11-building complex located on the main road between Detroit and Chicago. After the Arsenal closed in 1879, the Powder Magazine, located nearly 1,000 feet east of Main Arsenal for safety, was converted into a private residence now known as the McFadden Ross House. The former Powder Magazine and Commandments residence survive today as part of the Dearborn Historical Museum, and several armory buildings have been repurposed for commercial use. The community around the arsenal incorporated as the village of Dearbornville in 1838 and became the city of Dearborn in 1897.
1: I'm glad they dropped the ville. I don't like that. Dearbornville.
3: Dearbornville. (laughs) (laughs) At the same time, about four miles to the east, a smaller community was growing in Springwell's Township. Springwell's became a village in 1919 and a city four years later. Henry Ford, who was born in Springwell's Township in 1863, began building a massive new factory on the banks of the Rouge River in the township's south end in 1917. The Rouge plant, simply called... The Rouge, by locals, became the largest manufacturing complex in the world. In 1925, Springwell's renamed itself Fordson in honor of Henry and his son Edsel. At Henry Ford's urging, Dearborn and Fordson merged in 1929 under the name of Dearborn.
1: Did you know the rogue, rogue River Complex, or River Rogue Complex, whatever it's called, actually has some hauntings of its own, and people see old workers walking about the premises.
3: Oh, that's very fascinating. And between the two communities was a huge swath of land on which Henry Ford had a experimental and largely unprofitable farms. After Henry's death in 1947, the Ford Motor Company gradually developed the property, which now includes the Ford World Headquarters, known locally as the Glass House, a variety of office parks, and Fairlane Town Center, the shopping mall complex that includes our conference hotel, the Henry, the former Ford farmland continues to divide the city into west and east Dearborn
1: another fun fact did you know that henry ford died of a believe it was a brain aneurysm during one of the most historic floods of the rogue river i did not know that i'm full of fun facts today (laughs) fun facts it took a lot of research to find places yeah. Like, Dearborn has a lot of haunted places, but it's really hard to find any information about them. So yeah. I did a lot of digging, and I found a lot of interesting facts. <laughs> Do
3: y'all remember back in 2016 when there was the rash of creepy clown sightings?
1: Uh-huh. Oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> Menacing and just you know creeping out the public. Um, now, a cursory search revealed a pair of teenagers founding a clown around Flint near the Kimberly Oaks home as well as a report of a clown near big rapids and there was a clowny trio in dearborn <laughs> and one arrested in kalamazoo near Loy Norick school we'll get into some more legends later i just that was one i stumbled upon
1: when the clown shit was happening i was honestly like what would i do if i encounter one of these clowns and i'm like i i would want to run them over like that would be like my initial reaction because I don't like clowns. But then I was like, no, because it's probably just a prank pulled by some kids. And I was like, I'd probably just shit myself and cry. Like,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> like yeah, it's a clown.
3: I did see one of those videos the other day. It was this woman walking down the road and there's a man ahead of her and he's like he's like going crazy and acting yeah, crazy. So she video. she crosses the road to get away from him. And then and then he, down the road, sees something else. And he's, like, a clown or something. So he crosses the road. And then the clown sees, like, Leatherface. And he and just keeps progressively getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And then Leatherface sees the girl from The Ring down the road. And
2: he's like, oh, and he crosses the road to get away from her. Yeah, so that that hilarious. funny. I actually saw that one last week.
3: There's a few more in there, but...
1: Well, should we get into our first haunted location? Sure. Now, our first haunted location has multiple haunted locations. And this place seems really freaking cool. And I want to visit... If any... Like, I've never really... I mean, nothing about Detroit or Michigan or all that, but I've never had any desire to go and visit that area until I read about this place. And it's like, I want to go specifically for this. <laughs> All right, this is Greenfield Village and the Henry Ford uh, Museum. Now, Greenfield Village is a collection of nearly 100 historic buildings on 200 acres site on Dearborn, Michigan, established in 1933 by industrialist Henry Ford, who relocated and reconstructed buildings from throughout the United States. The village includes the birthplaces, homes, or workplaces of Ford, William Holmes McGuffey, Noah Webster, Luther Burbank, Woolbur, and Orville Wright. Also featured there are Thomas Edison's laboratory from Menlo Park, New Jersey, Stephen Foster Memorial, a court the a courthouse where Abraham Lincoln practiced law, a steam powered paddle boat, and several locomotives and representative of English and American Homes, public buildings, and craft shops. The adjoining Henry Ford Museum houses a collection of Americana. The chair that Lincoln was sitting in when he was shot, as well as JFK's limo that he was in when he was shot is also displayed on the location.
3: All right, so about that limo, how many seats were in it?
1: Six? Well, three rows. What would that be? Possibly 11 If you could put a third person in the middle Interesting Am I right? Oh, I don't know (laughs) (laughs) With all this history in one spot There's bound to be some activity, right? We will go through some of the locations and items Along with some of the haunted tales We will start at the Gidding House Built by John Giddings in ni- 1751 in Exeter, New Hampshire. Giddings was a merchant merchant and shipbuilder who lived in the home with his wife, Meth...
3: Meth? <laughs> 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 I love you, Meth. <laughs> How would you say that? Mehetable?
1: Mehetable and their five children, Mary, Dorothy, Deborah, John, and Metable. Mettable. <laughs> Meetable. meetable. Um, yeah. Weird names from a weird time. And December, 22nd, or on December twenty-second, seventeen ninety, the home became the first resident of New Hampshire's first Secretary of State, Joseph Parson, who married Gidding's daughter, Dorothy. In the nineteen twenties, the house was brought to the Greenfield Village and carefully numbered pieces. Ed Cutler, Henry Ford's architect, carefully studied the layo- layout layout and and restored it to what he believed to be its earliest condition, which included a secret staircase leading to the attic. Secret Secret staircase! staircase. (laughs) So what about ghosts? The following was an experience from an employee of the village.
2: I was a presenter for five years then, transferred to security and worked nights. The village takes on a whole new dimension at night. Doing driving patrols, I stopped at the getting to use the bathroom, which is located in the back. I walked inside and heard people talking, but I couldn't make out the conversation. I thought it was a voice recorder that tells the history of the home. It wasn't. I looked around and saw no one, but felt a chill. Then I heard some, someone talking again. And as I was leaving, I heard a voice clear say, He's leaving now. And a full con- conversation started up once again. It was weird and spooky, no doubt. The place is haunted. Whoa!
1: We move on to the Susquehanna. Susquehanna.
2: Oh my god!
3: I can't with these fucking names.
1: <laughs> We're gonna go with Susquehanna House uh, Plantation. If I pronounce that wrong, let me know. Um, built by Henry and Elizabeth Carroll in the mid 1830s, the home sat upon 700 acres of land in the Tidewater region of Maryland. The Carrolls had five children who lived a prosperous life. However, however, their 75 slaves did not live the same lifestyle as the family. They slept in 13 13 small wood shacks with dirt floors and worked brutal hours in the field. The Carroll family was one of the wealthiest in St. Mary County, and the slaves alone were worth $49,000. And that's back then. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money now. That's a lot of money then. <laughs> when Ford had his architect Ed Cutler arrive to inspect the building, it was an intact. In, it was intact, but run down. Once he viewed photographs and drawings, Cutler was able to bring it back to life. Ford had the building moved in 1942. Fun fact: the home is situated in the exact same position and direction. In the Greenfield Village, as it was in Maryland.
3: Oh, that is a fun fact.
1: For years, it was believed that the house was a mid seventeenth century construction, owned originally by tax collector Christopher Rous- Rousby, who was killed by the cousin of Lord Baltimore. Baltimore. The village had a tombstone and grave belonging to Rousby, and that was situated behind the home. In 2005, an article in the Baltimore Sun newspaper explained,
3: Historians became suspicious of the claims that the house dated back to the 1600s. In the 1980s, a group from St. Mary's County told museum officials that there were only two buildings from before 1700 standing in Maryland, one in Anne Arundel County and one on the Eastern Shore. Soon the staff realized there were major flaws in the story of Susquehanna. After doing tree ring dating on the beams of the house and doing archaeological work on the home's Maryland site, it was determined the house wasn't so old. It likely dated to the 1830s. That meant it couldn't be Roosby's house. He had been dead more than 150 years when it was built. The village staff knew they had to make changes.
1: The tombstone was removed and put into storage, and the bones were exhumed to be examined by a mortuary scientist who found that the collection of bones were from three different people, none of which were Caucasian. The museum received permission from the court to have the bones cremated, and they held a funeral and had the ashes reburied at the Saskawana. The tombstone was sent back to Maryland and packed away until they decided what to do with it. No one has any idea whatever became of Rouseby's body. The Sun article states...
3: The tombstone, clearly dating to the 1680s, was automatically linked to the house. Oral histories perpetuated the error. The Carroll family who built the house in the 19th century knew how old it was, but their descendants either had died or moved, leading no link to the past. Meanwhile, a prominent historical architect of the early 20th century, Henry Shandell Foreman helped solidify the myth when he dated the house to 1654.
1: So we have a tombstone and a grave. There has to be some spooky tales, right? Oh yeah. Here you go. Yes.
3: On several occasions when the sun was going down, always when the sun was setting, I would be peacefully finishing a quilted potholder or reading the cookbooks in the drawer and have heard the sound of feet thumping on the hall floors and the sounds of children's voices. This wasn't Unusual. It was usually my cue that someone had entered the home, and children often love running up and down the single available walkway in the house. So I would usually gather myself up, set aside my sewing, and swing open the glass door to go and greet my guests. Most of the time, yes, there they were. The children. Except on quite a few occasions when I have been very wrong. There were times I had gotten up and gone to greet the guest, knowing that there are very few places someone can go in this house, only to find myself walking the entire length of the house to the other staircase, into the sitting room and back around, only to find no one, no children, no giggling voices. So I would go and look out the front and back doors leading outside to see if the kids might have just peeked in and ran out. No one. Not even seeing anyone on the side of Greenfield Village. For voices to carry and children to run. It was on those days that I would turn to my seat and wait. A short time later, the whole scene would play out again. Running feet. Giggles. No one there but myself. It didn't bother me. Those were happy sounds. And if the little ghosts took pleasure in making me get up and try to find them, that's just fine. The exercise doesn't hurt anyone. On the other hand, I have had the pleasure of hearing another sort of sound when I was alone. Once more, at the end of the day, when the roads are empty and no one ventures down to the house, these were the sounds of bootsteps, These bootsteps are not modern boots. I know the sound of both. This is a very distinct difference. And working in that house you learn them. Because like the trampling of children's feet, hearing steps on the porch let me know that someone had come to visit. The bootsteps I heard was harder. With a very distinct heel. And it didn't pace the front porch. I've only heard it on the back. It's easy enough to slip out and check to ensure that no one is there. But these steps are brazen. They only wait for you to slip back inside before they start again. A steady pace up and down the back porch. And if you are careful, you can almost hear the pause it takes for someone to turn and go back the opposite direction. I don't know about this one. I don't know that I would mess with this one and I would always leave it be, knowing that if I just checked to make sure it wasn't a living person and let it go, I would go away on its own. My time at Susquehanna was an amazing experience. I hope that the kids there keep playing with those who work there.
1: Shall we move on? Noah Webster was an American lexicographer and founder, uh, founding father... Who helped define American culture? While he was teaching in New York in 1782, Webster became dissatisfied with the textbooks for children, and he began his lifelong effort to promote a distinctly American education. In 1783, he published the first edition of a speller called the American Spelling Book, which would teach generations of Americans how to read. By 1812, the Webster's were living in, America, in Amherst, Massachusetts, living off the income of his school books. While there, Noah served in the Massachusetts legislature and continued to work on his book, The Dictionary. <laughs> By 1822, <laughs> he decided to move back to New Haven, Connecticut. In July of 1929, Edsel Ford, son of Henry, received a telegram.
2: Noah Webster House at New Haven, an attractive plain house built about 1800s, is in the hands of Wreckers. Stop. Believe it will fit in well with your father's scheme and can be purchased for a small sum. Stop. Immediate action is required, as it will be turned down Friday. Stop.
1: The home was purchased and brought to Greenfield Village when Edward Cutler reached the New Haven home in September of 1936, the wreckers had already demolished part of the house. The interior was also at a poor state of repair due due to the home being used as a college dorm. Strange things have happened around and in the home since it was relocated to the Greenfield. Let's dig in, shall we?
2: We shall. There were a few people from Firestone Farm going for a Sunday drive and one of the buggies with a very calm team of horses. Everything was going fine, and the team was doing great. When they turned down Maple Lane, the horses came to a complete stop and refused to go past the Noah Webster house. The farmer, driving the buggy, tried and tried and finally got the horses to move, but they were right in front of the house. They spooked, bucked, and flew past the house and down Maple Lane, there's nothing around the spook them between the house and the road.
1: And that's another cool thing about this place is people actually do ride around and pour some buggy and they drive oh, around really? in old, like, Model T's.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, steam-powered Model T's and stuff.
3: <laughs> I love it.
1: Like, that's why I want to go visit this place. Like I said, this place just seems so freaking cool. Um, but how about another story of the Webster? <clears throat>
3: It was a quiet fall evening at the end of the day, and a father and his two young children were looking through the house when he noticed the little ones were missing. The dad came downstairs and asked if the presenter had seen his kids because he couldn't find them. Oh, no. (laughs) The presenter and the father both looked through the hallways and didn't see the children anywhere. They decided to look upstairs once again, and there, standing in the hallway, were the youngsters.
2: Oh, God.
3: I know. (laughs) The dad asked where they were, and the kids answered by stating that they were in the bedroom talking to the man. There was a tall barrier and no other way into the bedroom. And of course, no other man was up there.
1: Oh, my God. I know.
3: I know.
1: Good Lord, Jesus. On to the Adam house.
2: Adam's family.
1: No, 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 no. Na 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 na, (kissing) Na 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 na, na 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 na, na 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 na, Built in 1833 in Saline, Michigan, and the birthplace of George Matthew Adams, son of ba- a Baptist minister, and grew up to be a well-known newspaper writer. Henry Ford enjoyed reading at the reading Adams' faith-oriented column. Today's talk. He, uh, They also became friends. After the home was reconstructed in Greenfield, the Greenfield village, Adams would visit and stay in his childhood home, which was still furnished with original items from the home. So we're dealing with original items being used by the family. Let's see what strange, ha- strange things happen there, shall we?
2: It was a quiet day and I was by myself in Adams' house doing some cooking in the kitchen. I heard the sound of someone running up the sidewalk to the front of the house and their loud, heavy footsteps on the wooden front porch. They came inside the house and ran right up the stairs to the second floor really quickly. The second floor is not open to the public, and someone must have left the rope down that crossed the steps, which is supposed to hinder anyone from going up. I ran from the kitchen to tell them to come down. As fast as I heard those footsteps run up the house and up the stairs, there was, there was no way they could have stopped to unhook the rope. When I came around to the stairs, the rope was hooked and there was no one upstairs.
1: Now let's move on to Thomas Edison's family home, which is the 1816 home of the grandfather of Edison. In eighteen eleven, Edison's grandfather settled in Vienna, Ontario, near Lake Erie.
3: Oh, how eerie!
1: Then, in eighteen sixteen, their log cabin was replaced by the house, which was the first and only framed structure in the area for several years. Samuel Adams—sorry, not Samuel Adams—Samuel Edison, the father of Thomas Edison, grew up in the home and married Nancy Elliot Ellie- in eighteen twenty-eight. Samuel had a warrant out for him for participating in a political rebellion in 1837. The house was ransacked by the military, but Samuel had already fled to the United States. In later years, young Thomas Edison would return to his family home over the summer. The home was moved to Greenfield Village in 1933 and set up to look like it did in 1915, 99 years after it was built. An employee shares their experience in the home.
3: I don't know well with electromagnetic fields. It's a proven scientific thing. I follow the typical symptoms and it messes with my balance, making me feel like I am on a boat. I found this out at the Louvre, which is heavily outfitted with electric security. Uh, Other museums with this level mess uh, with me as well. But now that I am aware, I can adjust to it. The Edison homestead has no reason to make these symptoms that I have come to recognize suddenly occur, and yet they do. There is a spot in front of the mantle that I discovered. made me feel that way. I'd walk into this spot, and I'd feel like I was on a boat, ready to tip over. But when I step back, I am perfectly fine and balanced. I I toyed with this for some time before I mentioned it to a co-worker and friend. She expressed feeling something strange there as well. Now, feelings are feelings, and easily dismissed. So we decided, given the slow, rainy day, to explore this further. I don't know. The fireplace looks pretty normal. Hmm. I had never ventured upstairs in this house before that time, and given how slow and dreadfully ugly the weather was, figured it would be safe to peek up and see this beautiful home so that I could uh, adequately explain to visitors what was up there. It was also to explore these weird feelings. The tight steps of Edison House The stairs are dreadfully tight and unforgiving for someone like myself But I had climbed into the Blarney Castle Uh, The stairs are a danger and tight there without much problem But halfway up into the Edison Landing I stopped I physically felt that if I continued I would stumble backwards down the steps Only about four and not enough to seriously injure me It took several times before I could walk up there and explore this gem. Afterward, after the day went on and things needed to be put away, I was in the rooms off to the side that were used for storage now and peeked out the window to catch a glimpse of a person, a man to be exact. I hurried out the door and let my co-worker know. We went about the house, peeked out into the rain, and saw no one even near the house. Strange that in the fallen rain this man did not have an umbrella. A short while later, a shadowy figure moved, or flashed, across the room and out of it. I'm skeptical of shadow figures myself, but this was an awfully strange flash of shadow to press across a house that was shrouded in a rainy day. Either way, once that shadow flashed, the house felt different. Empty. Normal. I could stand in that spot without feeling off balance I hope that my exploration of Edison which became my favorite home. and my finding the ghost there has helped me to find peace.
1: Now, if you go around the corner, you'll find Sarah Jordan's boarding house. Originally built in 1870, the Sarah Jordan boarding house sat near the laboratory where Thomas Edison toiled in Menlo Park, New Jersey. After her husband died, Aunt Sally, as Sarah was known, lived in Newark, Newark and was asked by her distant relative Thomas Edison to run a place for his workers to eat and sleep. She accepted the offer and opened the home as a boarding house. Many of Edison's single employees would live there and sleep two to three in a room or er, in the six rooms. In fact, at the height of the laboratory's activity, sixteen boarders called it home. So, what ten a room? No, that's would be sixty. Mouth hard. Um. <laughs>
3: Fun fact, (laughs) math's hard.
1: (laughs) There was a sitting room for the men and a separate room for the women. Miss Jordan also made extra money by opening up a portion of the house as a lunchroom.
3: As a
4: quote-unquote (laughs) lunchroom. Come get some lunch.
1: (laughs) Feeding hungry travelers as well as the boarders. The house was possibly the first house in the world to ever be lighted by Edison's newly perfected electrical system. When the boarding house was placed in the village, it was placed in the same proximity as to where it originally stood, with the buildings Edison worked. The house was donated by to Mister Ford, and many of the original furnishings also came with the house. Her daughter arranged them as the the way she remembered them as a teenager. So let's find out about the haunts. <laughs>
4: My story deals with the boarding house. It was late in the day, and I was getting ready to lock up for the night when I heard the mantel clock when I heard the mantel clock chime on Sarah Jordan's side of the home. The clock rests on the fireplace, more for decoration because it doesn't work. I didn't think much of the chiming, so I locked up the house. At the time, we had a lock, and unlocked both the Burbank office and the Fort Myers lab. As I was coming back from taking care of that, something caught my eye on the third-floor window of the duplex, which is locked and off-limits. A man with a dark beard, white shirt, and red suspenders was staring down at me. I don't see any... Hold on a second. What, or who is that in the window? Then he faded away. I went back into the house, thinking it was a visitor, but the door and thir- the, to- <clears throat> but the door to the third floor was locked, and I didn't have a key. Do
3: you think it was Highlander?
1: Mm. I think it was Mrs. Doubtfire. Isn't that who he sounded like? I thought so.
3: No, I mean because he just faded away. There can be only one you never seen it,
4: have
1: Well,
3: I, I guess to the very few people that have seen it. Inside joke. <laughs>
1: yeah. We'll move on. <clears throat> yeah. So we've talked about his family home and the boarding house, so let's look into the laboratory, shall we? Yes! Reconstructed in Greenfield Village in 1928 or 29, the original building was built in 1876. Edison was a lifelong hero of Henry Ford. And as adults they were very close friends. When he decided to form Greenfield Village, Ford knew he wanted to pay tribute to his favorite inventor. To do this, why not restore the factory where many of his greatest inventions happened? In March of 1928, Ford began the restoration process. He wanted to reconstruct Menlo Park complex where Edison and his skilled helpers worked at inventing the future. The future. He wanted to do it in every minute detail it was unfortunate that the original state was nearly and completely dismantled by neighboring farmers not too many years after edison moved to west orange new jersey in 1887 in fact it was only a year after edison had removed himself cows had begun to wander amongst the buildings of the complex and chicken farmers even allowed his flock to make the laboratory their home Soon after, many local residents began using the quickly decapi- decapitating <laughs> dilapidating buildings' boards to repair their own deteriorating barns and hen houses. A severe storm blew what was left of the building over in 1913.
3: <laughs> These farmers <laughs> have no boundaries.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, with Mr. Edison's help, many of the original boards were found, including some that were in storage while others were regained through purchase of sheds and other farm buildings mentioned above. Edison Edison himself supervised the reconstruction. Ford was also able to locate and find exact replicas through the aid of photographs and memories uh, of those who worked there, of furnishings, tools, and other artifacts that once played an important role in the lab excavators dug through the original ground and not only found thousands of pieces of Edison's trash and other original relics from the lab that had been thrown out, which were gathered and shipped to Dearborn, but they could also see the, how the original buildings were positioned once they were brought and reconstructed inside the brand new greenfield village. Ford had the, <laughs> Ford had the building complex aligned in the same directional orientation that they were in New Jersey, and even included carloads of New Jersey clay from the original grounds. Ghost, please. Okay.
3: It was a raining, cold day, and I was working at the Menlo Park main building. It was myself and another presenter. We were sitting there, and because of the rainy weather, didn't see a visitor all day. It was about 4 p.m. when we both heard the door open near the assay room. What the fuck's an assay room? It's always
1: supposed to be assay.
3: Oh. It was about 4 p.m. when we both heard the door open near the assay room and then closed shut. We then heard footfalls on the floor coming towards us. The sounds then went up the stairs to the lab. We both witnessed this and still talk about it to this day.
1: On to the Firestone Farm. The Firestone Farm was originally built by Peter Firestone in 1828 in Columbiana, Ohio. Just a few blocks, no, that just a few miles from the Pennsylvania border. It is a new it is <laughs> it is now a gem among gems inside the Greenfield Village. Among the family members living there, in the later half of the 19th century, was a young Harry or Harvey Firestone, the grandson of Peter, who would let it later gain fame and fortune in the industry and became close friends of Henry Ford. During the 19th and 20th century, the Firestones raised a large flock of sheep with wool being their cash crop, but also harvested oats, hay, corn, wheat, and in 1965 nearly 30 years after harvey's death his descendants and local historical society restored the house and opened it to the public for tours but because of the farm's remote location it failed to attract many visitors in 1983 harvey's two surviving sons both in their 70s gave the house and the barn together with furnishings and sizable endowment for maintenance to the greenfield village in a way to keep their memory of their father. In a me- way to keep the memory of their f- memory of their father. Disassembling the building and reconstructing them some of the two hundred miles away took over two years. During the disassembly and reconstruction, however, a crew made a very interesting discovery: a note tucked beneath a suitcase, signed, dated, and hidden. By none other than a 14-year-old Harvey himself.
3: <laughs> did it say, do you like me? Circle yes or no.
1: <laughs> Inadvertently revealing the date of the ni- 1882 restoration. The Firestone Farm, as it stands now in Greenfield Village, is a living history recreation of, recreation of life on a farm in the 1880s in eastern Ohio. It has been restored to look as it did in 1882... When Harvey's parents remodeled the house to give it as a or give it a more modern look, the wallpaper and furnishings throughout the house show what was considered stylish during the Victorian era. The curators went to extremes to perfect this experience. Their methodology was to decide as accurately as possible what the Firestone family would have had or would have done. They focused on people from 1880s Eastern Ohio then 1880s Midwest, and then 1880s North, etc., until they were satisfied with that they had recreated life as once lived. The Firestone Farm and Barn truly make an authentic living history experience. One can spend hours watching and speaking to the presenters. It is probably one of the most living part of the ex- entire historic complex. But not everything on the farm is living, as you shall find. Our first presenter tells of her experience with the Great Beyond.
4: I took to humming or talking to myself as I opened the Firestone Farmhouse in the morning. But then I would hear something I didn't want to. Often there were thumps in the house. One particular event happened when the house was just about to open and I was tending downstairs, while a couple other ladies were up in the attic on the third floor. I heard a loud crash, and I hurried to the stairs. Thinking that they had tripped coming down, I called up to see if they were all right, and they had called down to ask the same of me. We met at the stairs and realized that the thump had come from the second floor. Whether this was to get our attention or as a warning, I can't be sure. I know that we refer to whatever it is as Sally, but there are times when it, the sounds, the weird shifting, shifts in things, I don't know, don't feel quite so
1: welcoming. And I do believe that Sally would, would have been more welcoming. <laughs> Another presenter has a tell-to-tell tell of something that happened right before her eyes.
3: A number of years ago, I was at Firestone in the fall. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it like that. <laughs> oh,
4: shit. Hey, <I> Gertrude. <laughs>
3: always watching a number of years ago i was at firestone in the fall at the end of the day working with another staff member to finish dishes and clean the kitchen i was standing by the back porch door when i thought i heard her drop one of the metal plates on the floor i turned to see if she was all right when i noticed she was staring at the stove i asked if she was okay but she just pointed towards the stove and we both noticed that the metal drying rod was bouncing behind it. Neither of us had been by the stove for a while since it was cooling off before the end of the day. We'd had no visitors for at least an hour. It was a cool rainy day and we were using the towels that normally sat on the rack. Pulling the towels off, the metal rod pockmarked the walls and rarely resulted in it bouncing. In the nearly ten years I worked there, and countless times I was in that kitchen, as the metal of the stove heated up and cooled down, it never happened before. We couldn't figure out what made that rod pick up and drop by itself, and we stood there dumbfounded and watched it bounce until it stopped. Very weird and cool at the same time. I tried jumping on the floor and walking by the door to see if that would cause anything, which it did not, and my co-worker was sufficiently spooked and wanted to leave pretty quick. I wanted it to happen again so I could test other theories. Still odd. It was the only thing witnessed by someone else that otherwise I would have questioned my sanity. I totally would have
1: done the same thing, too. (laughs) Yeah. Be like, no, we want this to happen again so we can see, we can figure out what happened. All right, the Firestone Farm Stove. Now this next Firestone Farm occurrence is almost a follow-up to the previous story but comes from a different employee over a decade later. The only
2: experience I ever had was one day at Firestone, I was in the kitchen standing by the sink. We were, we were cleaning up when all of a sudden we heard this loud clang over by the stove. We looked over and saw the rod used for the drying flip forward off the wall, hanging free. No one was over by the stove And there was no way that the wind could have flipped that steel rod like it was. We ladies looked at each other, and then I walked over and put the rod back in its place. We went about our business. That is the only experience I've had besides seeing things out of the corner of my eyes or hear a rocking chair rocking upstairs late at night.
1: The, quote, rocking chair thing happened... While a few of us were staying late at the farm during the lambing season, we were just sitting in the house while it's all dark and creepy, and we heard the rocking chair upstairs start rocking. That was from another presenter. I didn't put that in there, but that is who that is from. And yet another presenter tells of an otherworldly tale.
3: Oh, I've had an experience on the second floor at Firestone Farm as well. (laughs) That particular year. I opened up the farm three days a week, so I was used to my routine. I heard voices coming from the parents' bedroom when I was opening up the house alone one morning.
1: Oh, yeah, you did.
3: I stopped dead in my tracks when I heard people talking, and I just started to talk aloud that I respected them and that I didn't want to see anything. (laughs) I have a deep respect for that house. It didn't really freak me out either. I just felt like I interrupted someone's conversation, so I apologized and kept moving on with my day. It gave me a very strange feeling. But I never heard anything again.
1: Totally get it, because that's one of my rules in my house. (laughs) They can be here, but I just don't want to see them. So now let's head back to the opposite end of the village, to the Daggett Saltbox House.
3: The The Daggett Saltbox
1: House! The circ- <laughs> Well dag-nabbit. The circa seventeen fifty Daggett Salt Box Farmhouse in an eighteenth century in the eighteenth century Andover, Connecticut was known as a Coventry, and it was in this village of Coventry that Samuel Daggett built the sandbox structure sometime between seventeen forty six and seventeen fifty eight No, I don't know. He built the structures st- around 1746 when 40 acres of land was deeded to him by his father and in 1758 the year he married his wife Anna Bushnell Bush- Bushnell Anna Bushnell Daggett Bushnell Daggett was a housewright by trade and built this particular home on Soddy Hill Road Samuel Daggett also worked the family <laughs> farm <laughs>
3: It, it was just an old shoddy ass hill.
1: <laughs>
3: shoddy. Like, <laughs> oh my god, these fucking names.
1: Samuel Duggett also Daggett. Samuel Daggett also worked the family farm and grew many different crops and raised several types of animals on his farm for his family's use or to sell or to trade or other things that the family needed. One would think that it would be enough to keep a man plenty busy. But in order to provide for his family, Daggett also had an additional source of income, including making furniture. He made chairs, spinning wheels, and even coffins. Surprisingly, we find that he pulled aching teeth for his neighbors and a skill he learned from his father. Or a skill he learned from his father. The home life and daily activities of Anna Anna, and, her, and the children were closely connected to the work that Samuel Daggett did. On farms... No, no,
3: wait a minute. Why did you skip over the names of the children? Asanath?
1: <laughs> tabitha? Tabitha and Isaiah.
3: Is it? Oh, okay.
1: Asenath, tabitha that, That's a name?
3: I've never heard
2: Asanath before.
1: I haven't either. But Sounds you know,
2: like a and d character.
1: does. On farms in the colonial era, each family member played an important role in producing food, clothing, housing, household goods for the family. Anna Daggett ran the home... And cared for the family. She prepared and preserved food, spun yarn, made clothes, towels, sheets, gave the children their earliest lessons in reading and writing, and fed fed animals like chickens and pigs. Restoration specialists George Watson and Donald Graham watched carefully as the Edison Institution crew painstakingly dismantled the house and reconstructed the numbered pieces at the far end of the village. It was ready for public viewing in 1978 season. This wonderful New England edition in the location in a new in its new location situated near the Plymouth House, Giddings House, and Ferris Windmill and the English Cotswold Cottage and Forge and Colonial Sec in the colonial section of the village was now complete. With a house this old, there has to be some strange activity, correct? Let's see what we've got.
2: One of the ladies had to go upstairs to the second floor to get something. As she was coming down, she tripped on her long petticoat. She began falling down the, down the steep stairs, but suddenly felt someone catch her and pull her back up. She was convinced it was Samuel Daggett. What a nice gentleman.
1: Another former presenter.
3: My stories of Daggett are a bit more mundane as far as haunting. I've never had the pleasure of seeing Samuel Daggett. Perhaps he has left. I don't know. I know that I have been in the house, all closed up from the wind, and the ropes inside have swung or a feeling is there that you're being watched like a teacher watches their students.
1: Oh, baller. <laughs> I like <man> was
2: like...
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and yet another presenter told about a man... Who, for a short time, lived in the Samuel and Abbott Who lived with Samuel and Anna Daggett and their family? Daggett, <laughs> I mean Daggett. It it daggett. <laughs> it was thought that he may have been a hired hand. It was late in the day, and one of our presenters, who we'll call presenter number one, was sitting by herself in a great hall, which is the in the main room of the house. There were no visitors around, and the other presenter, we'll call presenter number two, was out in the garden.
3: If you're setting this up for a pun, I'm going to fucking kill you.
1: (laughs) As presenter one sat by herself at the table near the window, she heard presenter number two unmistakably walk into the kitchen and head back to the entrance of the former parlor. A few minutes later, presenter two came in again from the outside, from the very same door she came in just a few minutes before. I thought that was you in the parlor, the first prisoner mentioned. No, replied presenter number two. I just now came in. That's when presenter one was told about the unknown man who stayed with the Daggetts back in the 18th century. And it was suspected that these footsteps that they would hear from him were from him. He always walked into the parlor to the window and then the door he always remained in the parlor he always remains in the parlor she also mentioned that this mystery man appears as an apparition and photograph standing directly behind her as she spun flocks on the spinning wheel in the parlor she mentioned to me that she also knows one person who had this photo and hopes to get a copy so i can post it here Uh, that's from the person who wrote the Um, blog that I got that quote from. Oh. In the former parlor looking for a hired man, presenter two then asked if the day's items they had used were put away and locked up in the storeroom upstairs. Presenter number one assured number two that yes, in fact, she did take care of it. As they both went up the stairs, they found that the items strewn about they had previously locked the door now open. Prisoner number one, who told me the story, swears everything was put away and the doors were locked up. She's
3: all like, who does presenter number two work for?
1: <laughs> this same prisoner regaled me with another unusual daggett tale, this time involving a young girl. She was riding on the train with her mother and father when they passed the daggett house. Daggett house. She began to cry and said she wanted to go to that house. Well, the next stop for the train was clear on the other side of the village. As the family exited the train, she continued crying, pulling her parents on foot back to the Daggett home. When she finally reached the old salt box house, the little girl, still crying, walked in inside and claimed that she was Anna and she used to live in this house. The prisoner told me that she heard the girl's explanation, expla- exclamation per- personally. Now there is a related story that I found in the Benson Ford Research Library about a young girl who, while visiting Greenfield House with her mother and father, suddenly took off running. Her surprised far- parents struggled to keep up. She crossed the entire village, knowing exactly what she wanted, to, where she wanted to go. As she came upon the Daggett House, she darted in and went directly to the artifact room. I'm assuming the formal par- former parlor. After surveying the collection, exclaimed. Oh, good. They have furniture arranged just as it should be. Her parents in the building dockings stood dubfounded for the collection of furniture was willed willed to the Henry Ford upon the death of an elderly woman. Her only stipulation was that the furniture be housed specifically as she wished. Could this have been the Mrs. Dana Wells, the woman who contributed to the Daggett House and furnishing to the Greenfield Village? Hmm. Then hmm. there's still another Daggett story for the former, from a former presenter, which tells a feeling but not seen. The tug of a child. This presenter was speaking with a visitor at the keeping room door when she felt as though a, there was a child grabbing and pulling on her skirt. But she looked around and there was no child. Nor had anyone around seen anything or even reacted to how she searched for the little tugger. <laughs> the
3: little tugger. <laughs> This tugging story happened quite a while back, over 10 years ago.
1: And yet, here's another one. This happened a few decades later? A few years later? No. This was another presenter, and this happened to her, but they did not work together the same years.
3: So this is presenter number four?
1: Yes. (laughs) I was alone at the Daggett in the back room off the kitchen where we stored most of the foodstuffs, and I felt a tug on the right side of my petticoat. I thought I'd got caught on a wooden bucket and it was that was kept in the area, but the bucket was on the other side of the room. It felt like a little kid trying to get my attention. When I walked into the kitchen I was standing looking at the table. Again I was alone and I felt something tapping on my left shoulder. When I turned around there was no one there. A few hours later I was in the great hall at dinner and three of the presenter with three other presenters, the house lead was presenting to the group. One of the other presenters and I were sitting in the bench against the far wall. I had my hands in my lap and my co-worker was eating and I felt something caress my left hand. All of this happened in one day. And it wasn't frightening. It was actually very comforting. And yet we have another story from the Daggett. This tale we comes...
2: We have a tugger.
1: We have a serial tugger.
2: <laughs>
1: we have another story from another presenter. I'm presenter number
3: five. <laughs> I am not much of a believer in ghosts, however... I'm not able to debunk this questionable occurrence. I was working at the Daggett home during holiday nights in about 2013. I usually arrived earlier than many of the other workers. Lantern lighters and carolers would eventually join, but before they came it was just me sitting alone in the great hall by a crackling fire. One particular night I sat there. It was quite dark, almost pitch black, except for the firelight. It was quiet, too. A fire in the hearth in the Daggett Great Hall. If you know the village, you know that the closest buildings to the Daggett house are the windmill, the blacksmith's shop across the way, and the plimptum house on the other side of the windmill. But Daggett would require presenters to arrive before the other locations. So I sat in the dark silence, really not feeling scared at all. It was quite peaceful. The silence broke with a man's voice calling out a close but muffled greeting. I figured someone had stopped by to drop something off. Or it is maybe it was the too early arrival of lantern lighters, carolers, and presenters from afar. Now we got distant presenters. (laughs) That didn't make sense because the voice was coming from a very close proximity. Like within ten feet. Still, I looked through the house and outside. There was nothing but the quiet darkness. No one in sight. I went back to the fire and sat there until the lantern lighters arrived. Approximately an hour later. Again, I don't believe in hauntings. But could it have been Sam Daggett? That is for you to decide.
1: Dun, dun, dun...
3: Presenters coming in from afar.
1: <laughs> now, what about that limo I talked about earlier? The Henry Ford Museum contains the 1961 Lincoln Continental presidential limousine that President John F. Kennedy rode in while he was assa- when he was assassinated in 1963. After Kennedy's death, the car was cleaned up, rebuilt, I hope so. <laughs> rebuilt, and used by Kennedy's successor, Lyndon B. Johnson. I'm oh.
2: sure they just let the blood
3: stains and yeah, the, you know. the brain splatter everywhere. You got. I mean, you do got to wonder. I think the Bonnie and Clyde car has blood stains mm-hmm. on it. So,
1: as for paranormal ex- occurrences, each year on the evening and the anniversary of Kennedy's death, November twenty second, some employees and visitors say they have seen an entity resembling Kennedy standing next to the car and waving. The figure then leaves a red rose on the hood of the car. Witnesses claim that the entity somehow relays a message that he was shot by two men, one whom was standing on the lawn under some trees. Dun, dun, dun! And that is all I have for Greenwood or Greenfield Village. But that could have been a whole episode on its own, and we still hmm. have more locations to go.
3: Oh, yeah. That sounds like a really cool place. Yeah. It's got some bit of history, some reenactment. Oh, it's, it's
1: exactly what I love. I, that's one of the things that I used to love about Frontier City was all the, the historical. I mean, it was all rebuilt. Okay, and- so,
3: so hear me out on this. Whenever people are doing like a renovation in an old home, haunting activity will increase. How much do you think haunting activity would increase if you picked up the entire fucking building and moved it to a whole nother
2: location?
3: Piece
1: by piece. Yeah, so piece the by piece. And like, what the fuck are these people doing?
2: I'm just imagining now, though. Like a ghost, you know, like is gone for a little bit and comes back.
1: Where'd the fuck the house go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: What the fuck? I
4: was. I just went out for some coffee. <laughs> what
2: the fuck? <laughs> they're not going to believe this. I lost my house.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Dave, take us back to school.
3: (laughs) When Divine Child High School was adding on a new gymnasium, one of the workers fell off the scaffold and died from severe head trauma. Custodians and faculty members working late at night encounter this apparition. They have also heard the sound of disembodied footsteps. The presence of something strange, as if being watched by an unseen entity. There's a lot of haunted schools in this area, particularly in Dearborn Heights. At Crestwood High School, people have reported ghosts walking the halls at night. Sounds emanating from empty classrooms, things moving around. Students hear voices behind them during school hours. But no one knows the origins of the paranormal phenomena.
1: Doo, 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 doo.
3: At Crestwood Computer Lab, Computer 25 is haunted by a senior that failed to graduate. It constantly acts up, and any senior who sits at that computer passes with an A. All the work done by unseen forces.
1: That sounds awesome.
3: <laughs> Which computer do you want? 25. <laughs> yeah. Highview Middle School has a dark stain beneath the vent in one of the girls' bathrooms on the second floor. And according to legend, a girl named Mary sought refuge here to cry after a teacher screamed at her. She climbed up into the vent to escape from the school, unaware it was an old air conditioning system. And when it turned on automatically, So did the blades, cutting her to pieces. Oh, no. (laughs) At O.W. Middle School, people claimed to hear sobbing and drops of water drip from thin air. Supposedly, a young girl hung herself in the hallway's bathroom. For a time, the entire right wing of the school was closed off. At the Riverside Middle School, there was a pool that was removed in 2002. But before that, people reported seeing a girl roaming the halls, saying students' names, and even swimming in the pool. Some think it's the apparition of a young lady that dove into the pool, cracked her head open, and died. The Berwyn Senior Center at Berwyn and Richardson used to be an elementary school. Where the library stands today, a janitor hung himself way back when. Both senior citizen residents and neighborhood kids hear keys rattling and tapping on glass, and sometimes witness disembodied figures or faces in the library's windows.
1: Dun, dun, dun. dun. Chad, where do you take us?
2: First, I'm going to take us to the Players Guild Incorporated. Located at twenty one seventy three or twenty one at two one seven three zero Madison Street, Dearborn, Michigan, this Players Guild Incorporated in Community Theater features live shows and musical comedies. Founded in nineteen twenty seven, the Players Guild is one of Michigan's oldest community theaters and ensembles. The Guild presents five plays productions each season, September through May, typically play three plays and two musicals, many of which or many of its alumni, have gone on to esteemed careers in the entertainment industry. Besides just plays a musical, it also seems to host some of the paranormal as well. Many guild employees have claimed to hear disembodied voices and footsteps, as well as objects being moved by themselves. Audience members have even claimed to have caught ghostly human outlines and pictures they have taken. Whoa! Next, we'll go to Fort Wayne. Roughly five miles from Dearborn is Fort Wayne, the star-shaped fort, it has a lot of history and even some spooky activity. In 1840, at the point of the Detroit River, closest to British Canada, the United States Army began surveying local farms for the placement of a new artillery post. A five-point star fort was slated to have the most up-to-date cannon capable of firing on enemy sailing vessels and the Canadian shore. It'd be named for General Anthony Wayne, whose defeat of the British at Fallen Timbers in 1796 resulted in United States occupation of the Northwest Territories. This new fort would be Detroit's third, yet its first to be built by Americans. The city's original fortress, Fort Pontchartrain du Detroit, was established by the French near today's Hart Plaza, shortly after Antoine Cadillac's landing in 1701. The fort was surrendered to the British in 1760 during the French and Indian War, and several years later, the British built a new fort with the name Fort Lenoir. This second fort was constructed farther inland, centered on what is now intersection of Fort Street and Shelby Street. It remained occupied by the British until 1796, when the United States took over Detroit and renamed the, the battlement Fort Shelby. And during the decades following American's ejection of the British troops after the, the War of 1812, Fort Shelby fell into disrepair. Meanwhile, the threat of territorial war still loomed with the British Canada as tensions increased along the northern border. America's defense positions were fortified to include new forts from the East Coast to the Minnesota Territory. Detroit's new Fort Wayne was to be a critical component of these defenses. What happened to the cannons? Diplomacy intervened. However, in the mission of Fort Wayne, before any cannons could be procured for the new fort, the United States signed a treaty with Britain resulting in diplomatic resolutions to all territory disputes. The new fort was recommissioned as an infantry garrison, but held no troops until the outbreak of the Civil War, when the first Michigan soldiers reported for duty. Because of the new relationship with Britain and later Canada, Fort Wayne never saw a shot fired in anger. Instead, the peaceful location became became a primary induction center for Michigan troops entering battle in every U.S. conflict since the Civil War to Vietnam. Among other duties of the, over the course of its 125 years, Fort Wayne served as an infantry training station, temporary home of the chaplain school, primary procurement location for the vehicles and weapons manufactured in Detroit during both World Wars, and also during World War II, housed prisoners of war from Italy. Additionally, following Detroit's 1967 riots, the fort became a haven for many families whose homes were burned, with many residing there until late 1971. New ownership and new horizons began in in 1948. The fort was slowly turned over to the city of Detroit, Partial by parcel, over the next 28 years, the city eventually came to own the entire property, with the exception of nine acres still occupied by the Army Corps of Engineers. The property is now under control of the City of Detroit Recreation Department, along with assistance of our volunteer organization, Historic Fort Wayne Coalition. Today, you can visit the original 1848 Limestone Barracks Building. 1845 star fort renovated in 1861 the restored commanding officer's house the spanish-american war guard house the ancient native american burial mound and the tuskegee airman museum now and throughout the years ahead fort wayne is returning to prominence with exciting plans in the works preserving the preservation is underway (coughs) uh This place was also built on a Native American burial ground.
1: Of course.
2: Um, When digging to put in the fort, the unburied, I think it was like 44 uh, bodies. And so they relocated them. and still in the area, just not where they dug them up. Um, There are claims of disembodied voices, shadow figures, claims of being touched, objects moving by themselves. Kind of reminds me of the our old house, yeah, with the Native American spirit. Is it seems to like the things moving? It like, seems to be helping people, yeah, and not in any anger or anything like that. Um, but Fort Wayne offers day daytime and nighttime time tours. Uh, nighttime tours are mainly ghost hunts, but it's a pretty cool little place, and it's just like, just I guess in between Detroit and. Um, Dearborn It kept coming up When I was doing my
3: research As like one of the most Haunted buildings In the area That's pretty cool I also saw That it It was used For people um, Going on the Underground Railroad During the American Civil War Um, It also Housed displaced families During the Great Depression and for a time, it was used as a detention center for those accused of communism. <laughs>
2: it's a pretty cool looking fort, like a
3: bunch of pictures.
2: Yeah. It's like it's I see four four points, but there is a fifth one, but it's hard to see. But yeah, like it's just a big building in the center, and then like a bunch of houses down this run road. But it's pretty cool. But uh, I know <coughs> Motor City Paranormal Investigations has done a bunch there. I wanna say it was even on a ghost hunters
3: episode. So I was
1: gonna say either ghost hunters or ghost adventures. Have yeah, been one there. of them I've had been seen there. it. Yeah.
2: It's pretty cool.
3: The Eloise Asylum, Alois Asylum, I don't know how to say it. it, was another one that was always on all the lists too. But I didn't really look into it much. I did, however, look into the Henry Hotel.
1: That would be the Henry Autograph Collection Hotel.
3: The Henry Autograph Collection Hotel. (laughs)
1: Do they have a whole bunch of signatures of guys named Henry all over the place? (laughs) 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 I'm sure it's about Ford.
3: So this hotel was once a Ritz-Carlton, and it sports a haunted room, number 418. In this room, the lights are known to turn on and off by themselves, Doors open and close on their own, and the French door handles are rumored to jiggle if you close them after they have strangely opened on their own.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But yeah, that's about it.
1: <laughs> so, we got a ghost that likes to jiggle doorknobs, turn on and off lights. Typical ghost things.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Typical hotel ghost things. I guess they're not pulling the fire alarms or yeah. anything.
2: I guess when we go to Dearborn, someone's going to have to stay in room 418.
1: Yeah. I'm down.
2: Me too. This place seems pretty cool, actually. Yeah.
1: Uh, like all our road trips, I'm always excited. Do you know this one place? This place has something that we have not, or do- this place does not have something that all of our other ones have had. And that's a connection to Denver Airport.
2: Oh, yeah.
3: I also didn't (laughs) find any, like, crybaby bridge or, like, hitchhiker stories or anything.
1: I'm sure there's some in, like, surrounding Detroit areas. But,
3: yeah. Yeah.
1: We usually, usually those are, like, we've got the trifecta that we usually search for when doing haunted road trips. And that would be hitchhiker ghosts, crybaby bridges, and a lady in white or red because <laughs> <I laughs> yeah. it seems to be every town has those three things but, and, or and or a uh, gravity hill
3: yeah the gravity hills aren't as common though
1: but if you're one of our listeners from dearborn or any of the surrounding detroit areas if you know of crybaby bridges or hitchhiking ghosts or any of that send it to us and we'll read it in our next episode um just to make sure we cover all our bases, because like I said those are things that we usually find in all of our haunted road trips, because everybody has them.
2: Yep. Yeah. Speaking of our next episode,
1: episode, episode, episode two hundred. So that means you have exactly seven day. No, yeah, seven days to get in your brackets.
3: Next Thursday, Thursday, Thursday.
1: To be entered into the contest to win your grand prize.
3: Unless Amy edits it late, the next Friday, Friday, <laughs> Friday.
1: <laughs> I'm planning on having it out by Thursday, but you never know. We're recording this on the 15th of April, which is Dave's birthday.
3: Happy birthday. Oh, that was like two weeks ago.
1: Uh, yeah, well, we're recording this. Now.
2: Oh, Happy birthday, Mr. (laughs) Day. Happy birthday (laughs) birthday to you.
1: You, 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 you. And many more. Which means that for us, tomorrow is Easter, but that'll be two weeks ago for our listeners. (laughs) Um, It's nice nice being a week ahead, but sometimes it gets confusing (laughs) with times.
3: And I was thinking about Easter. Uh, Christian listeners, plug your ears for a second. <laughs> um, they, According to the mythology, he died for the sins of humanity, right? Mm-hmm. But then he was resurrected a few days later. So really, he only gave up his weekend for the sins of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> so it's the equivalent of... Accepting work to work over the weekend so the rest of your co workers can have it off. Yeah. <laughs> well I guess at most because he was tortured for a few days.
3: Yes. So maybe he gave up He took a He, he took know, a week. His a a week. spring break. Yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> well that's back in March though.
1: Well, we don't really know that he died in April. I mean well because Easter sometimes in March. Because oh, Easter true. Easter is the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. So Easter can be as early. As, what, March 22nd or 23rd?
3: Yeah, but spring break is during the equinox.
1: Usually here it is. Oh, yeah. But, like, if the equinox is on Saturday and the first full moon is on Sunday, so it can be the 22nd of March.
3: Now, <laughs> how did they come up with that? Is that in the book?
1: I don't know. The Catholic Church did it somewhere down the line, and it's okay. just stuck.
2: I think they added it in book two.
1: Because <laughs> I, I know the
2: a lot of
3: cultures used a lunar calendar.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's how it's determined is that's the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. <sighs> it's a mouthful.
2: But yes, which is weird because this sun- Easter is a full moon, full, a full moon. Well, weird, the, today Jesus. was the full moon.
1: It'll be yeah the first full moon after yeah. the spring equinox. Uh, the first Sunday after the full moon, after the spring equinox. <laughs> it's the where, Jesus.
3: Because <laughs> I think the full moon perfected. I looked it up the other day for some magical shit. It was at about 2 p.m. our time.
1: Well, earlier today. So does that mean zombies come back tomorrow?
4: Where zombies? I mean, Jesus <laughs> was
1: kind of a zombie, if you think about that. No. said, so wouldn't it be funny if he had like a... Twin brother that nobody knew about.
2: (laughs) As long as he's some guy who just looks similar. There's a
3: lot
1: lot of cosplay,
2: and then like,
3: oh shit. There's a lot of zombie stuff in Jewish mythology.
1: Yeah, and in Revelations, which is part part two. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I'm waiting for part three to come out. (laughs) They're always the worst, but you know, there's Ah. always got to be a trilogy.
1: Three is usually better than two.
2: Yeah. If it if it but wraps
1: up, but never as good as one. Up, <laughs> yeah.
2: I hope they come to a good ending.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: if it wraps
3: up all the loose ends and gets rid of all the contradictions, then yeah, it could be a great no,
1: it just, third part. It'll just end up being like the Halloween franchise or the Freddy <laughs> franchise. Just keep coming back. And it'll just keep happening. <laughs> well maybe it'll do what Scream
2: did and make one and make fun of itself the entire movie. <laughs>
1: Well, that was kind of the thing with Scream. Scream was never took itself seriously anyway. Yeah. It was always but, making oh yeah, fun they, of horror movies.
2: Oh, they make fun of themselves. That's good. In the new Scream, <laughs> it is awesome. Actually. Does it have the I original really actors? Their, yes. Awesome. It's actually, it, it's actually pretty good. I'll have to
1: watch it. I haven't watched it yet.
2: Wasn't scary at all. Well, none but, of the screams uh, yeah. are super scary. I mean, it jump like, scares, but yeah. It's just funny. I was cracking up watching it because they're just playing <laughs> off of like horror movie. Uh, Stigmas and like, well, there's a whole part they're just like trying to like the friends are talking. It's got to be one of us. it's always one of us. Have you seen any of the like they call them stab movies? Yeah It's always one of the friend group.
1: It's great. You're talking earlier about how you thought you saw something when we were driving home tonight, we were getting at the railroad tracks at Tecumseh. And Dave and I both see this black sh- mass shoot across the road. And when we got to it, I was looking to see what it was. And there's just a giant pond right there. Because I thought it was like a deer or something.
3: Yeah. Yeah,
2: I thought it was somebody just like running across the road.
1: And I was like, what they did, they landed in the pond.
2: <laughs> well, it makes sense. I mean, what? And then I the just... solstice just and then full moon. Yeah. Is that a good time for... Things to be out, like well, strong energies.
1: I made me think or, of it as I just saw a shadow, like a shadow figure behind you. Yeah, like of a like a head. Well, I've
2: been feeling it all night while we're recording this podcast. Like there's, because well, like your son's actually sleeping in his room, and I'm like, whatever things living in his room is like upset because he just can't be in there right <laughs> now. <laughs> I'm not alone anymore. But now I've been seeing him over in the corner of the living yeah. room.
1: I don't know. Things happen around here all the time, but no, I just tonight I'm like <laughs> hypersensitive to it. And I too. don't know if it's because we're doing a ghost episode I don't or know if it's what. Just
2: because I'm exhausted.
3: Yeah,
1: I'm pretty and darn tired myself. Or
3: but if it's the full moon. Yeah. Is
1: it the full moon? Oh oh
3: oh! Or is it the full moon after the first equinox after the spring <laughs> no, it's break? The what the fuck is it?
1: <laughs> it's the spring first break <laughs> first Sunday after the first full moon. After the spring equinox.
2: There we go. (laughs) Yeah, what Amy said.
1: Come on, don't you know your Christian mythology?
2: No, it's my least favorite mythology.
1: (laughs) There's some good stories in there.
2: Oh, there are, but... There's some really
1: important (laughs) stories in there, but...
2: Yeah. Uh, Still my favorite thing to do to piss off people. (laughs) 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 Calling it a uh, mythology and then returning to... their Bible is put one and two, <laughs>
1: part one and part two, the Bible, the sequel. Part two. I'm
2: ready for the prequel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what happened before the Earth was created? When we the, were specks like, of dust floating around in a non-atmosphere.
3: The cuneiform tablets. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's already out.
1: <coughs> oh.
3: Babylonian mythology. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, in part one, he creates the heaven and the earth. So it would be, the prequel would be before the heavens and the earth were created. <laughs> so it just, there were dust particles you, floating around. Did and you <laughs> ever
3: see the episode of The Simpsons where he's in the nothing?
1: Maybe. Where he's just
3: in the void? It's just Homer and there's nothing and he's just like walking and there's just nothing. Yeah, I think so. That's what that book would be. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And he walked and he walked and he walked and he walked and he walked. walked.
3: But it's interesting when it comes to thinking about space, you know, especially like Albert Einstein's uh, theory of relativity and things. It's in that Homer's always in the center, no matter how far he walks in any direction, because there's nothing to be relative towards. Yeah. There's nothing else exists. It's all everywhere and nowhere all at the same time.
1: Oh, my head hurts. I know. Uh, uh. See, those are the topics that make my brain shut down, though.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Like that. Anything that has like an infinite. My brain just goes. (laughs) (laughs) Too much processing must shut down. (laughs) 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 Overheating. Overheating. (laughs) Danger. (laughs) Danger. Yes. Danger, Will Robinson. (laughs) Yeah, because we're all the center of our own universes. I mean, just human nature. It's animal nature. Mm -hmm. You know? And we're animals. Well, I think that's gonna do it. We want to thank our listeners in Dearborn, um, and if you want us to cover your city on the next road trip, make road sh- trip. Make sure that you get your friends and your family listening. Share us with everybody. You know, um,
3: San Francisco was pretty close to winning this time. San Francisco, wasn't
1: it? No, it was. Um, Pueblo, Pueblo, uh, Colorado.
3: Ah, yeah, that was it.
1: Pueblo, Colorado, Dearborn, and Chicago, which we've already done Chicago. They were the top three. And Pueblo and Dearborn had been kind of back and forth, back and forth, but Dearborn, Dearborn pulled ahead there at the end before we made our final choice. So... But it, it's fine because we've done a few things in Colorado, so it was nice to yeah. move to a different part of the it's country. nice to get
2: away from the Nazi tunnels.
3: <laughs> yeah, the only thing we've Secret really
1: tunnels.
3: covered around Michigan is the Michigan Dogman. Yes. And we really didn't even talk about it this episode.
1: Yeah, we didn't talk about it. Well, we've talked. Well, we've done, what, two episodes specifically on yeah. werewolves and dogmen?
2: Yeah. Well, that, and then we did the missing airline things, yeah. missing aircrafts, and a couple of those over, like, the... Michigan, Ohio area and stuff. But.
3: And then the
1: Wendigo was up there in the boot. So,
2: And I think the dog
3: man might have what it takes to win this whole cryptid
1: battle. Also, was not the Benghazi Benghazi? Not Benghazi. Babagazi! <laughs> <laughs> Benghazi. Ow. Mm. The Babagazi was... Wasn't he up in the boot as well?
2: I don't know. I, I thought, thought the Colorado. Babagazi was in...
1: He came over with the, the immigrants.
2: Irish the, immigrants to Or
1: Italian immigrants or, or whatever,
2: yeah. I don't remember. It's been a while. Uh, from the Swiss Alps.
3: Mm-hmm. So the French probably. The French,
1: yeah. Over. I thought it was the northern Michigan area, but it
2: could have been. I thought it was more
1: Yeah, cuz we, we
2: said he came over on the uh, Ride in Nessie. Yeah. And next was going to Lake Champlain. Yeah, Nessie
1: became Champ over here and then the Babagazi would ski back to the Alps <laughs> on the back of Nessie. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, I believe there were some new pictures of Nessie recently released. Yeah, really? Yeah. No. I
2: didn't see the pictures. I didn't really
1: see the pictures either, I but read I read but the article.
3: That, yeah. that one has what it takes to go all the way too. Yeah.
1: It's going to be interesting. One, I think it? the
2: Pukwudgie could do it too. Oh, Pukwudgie.
1: Oh, puckwudgie! Come here. Mer.
3: i'm sure everybody shut this off minutes ago oh yeah people, <laughs> people probably never
1: made it past green greenfield if you made it past greenfield comment on our facebook or instagram or even on our discord at ump normalcy um also don't forget to get those ballots that uh, those ballots but those brackets into us as soon as you can so that we've got as many entries as we can so we can give away maybe multiple prizes
3: oh yeah definitely Ew.
1: Um, and be sure to go and check out the rest of the Green Podcast Network. We've got Faith Blind Counsel, Lux Occult, Smuts Up, Ad Hoc History, Administrism, XV Planus, Primordia, and Grognostics. Also, don't forget to get your paranormal t-shirt sent to you each month by using the link in the description of this show and promo code C at checkout to get 10% off your first order. I am wearing my Zeta Reticuli Incident shirt, and it's about Betty and Barney Hill, which we covered in one of our previous episodes. I really like this one, too. I like the alien ones. There's not as many alien ones. So every time I get an alien one, I'm like, yay! (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also, remember, it is Halloween in April. It's Halloween in April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, January, February, and March. But you can use our, code or our link in our description of our show and get your Halloween stuff. Get it started here at, or from HalloweenCostumes.com. And now I'm just rambling. So unless anybody else has something to say, I think this is going to do it. So until next time.
3: Keep digging.
1: Unearthing Paranormalcy is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just listened to, visit our catalog at TGMPodcastNetwork.com.